last interview of this Advent series was very meaningful to me personally. I got to catch up with a friend from seminary who really encouraged me in my own journey towards motherhood. Reverend Dr. Fatima Saleh is a pastor who has found her calling more recently in pastoring pastors. She has such um, a nurturing and warm spirit, and she loves to mentor and encourage leaders. And she's also been educating faith communities on anti-racism as a key work of the kingdom. Asked Fatima to specifically reflect on Mary's birth story, and she had her Bible close as she makes these connections from Mary's story to her own story to the story of just encouraging and empowering women. I hope you enjoy this interview. Hey, Fatima, how are you doing today? Or I mean, I should say the Reverend Dr. Fatima Saleh, who's like just the most amazing uh, human that I got to meet in seminary and is doing really amazing work. How are you doing today? I am hanging in there. It's 2020. That's what I say all the time now. I just respond like that. Like it's this whole paragraph. It's a whole book. What do you say? It's 2020. And I'm, I'm holding on and I'm still here. How are you doing? And by the way, why would you ever give me a title? You've known me. I am Fatima for you over and over and to the end of days. So if anyone decides to listen to this podcast, <laughs> they don't know you. <laughs> for one. And two, how many times uh, do women give up, especially women of color, give up all of the amazing achievements that we do you have gotten your doctorate and your masters of divinity and your ordination it's like you know I once had a friend tell me she goes I know she never used your titles hardly ever she goes and she's this wonderful indigenous woman she said I, I used to have a friend that say use it like a coat if you're among family and friends you hang it up put it in the closet you don't need them if you're going into places that are cold and frigid and don't want to honor you and see you you pull out your coat and you use your, 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 your titles. And I have used that now. <laughs> that has been my thing. And I realized I'm like, okay, I'm going into an environment where I'll need this coat because it's cold. They don't really see me. They don't want to see me. So, but with friends and family, they're like, okay, yeah, I hang it up. Um, but I'm honored to be here today with you and discussing all the beautiful things about Advent and Mary. Yeah. Well, and just birth stories in general, because you, Fatima, have at least four birth stories of your own. Yep. And two miscarriages. Miscarriages. So divinity school. You know what? I think I did know that and I forgot. So you, you have these experiences of creating and grieving with God uh, in, in pregnancy and, and parenting, because before we started recording, we, we also were commiserating a little bit and parenting is no joke of a call. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I think there, it gives us so much texture that people that you can read um, a story like Mary's and you can hear her say, let it be with me according to your word and think 
this, this woman has no idea what she has just said yes to. She has, she has no idea. She may have like, maybe the Holy Spirit got her consent, but there were some things in the fine print. (laughs) I think there's, there's more in the fine print for all of us mothers but especially for Mary, we sort of think we know where we're going into. You don't know. You don't know the contours and the shaping of it until you literally experience, no matter how many stories you've heard. So I, I completely agree with you in every way. I think Mary said yes, because Mary was faithful. But just like motherhood, even holy motherhood, um, this sort of sacred motherhood um, that needed no man, that it happened between God and woman. Um, I am, I'm almost certain that that young woman did not know and Nazareth did not know all it would entail to hold Jesus in her womb, to give birth to Jesus. Um, I think we may have the contours and the shape of what labor feels like and last trimester, but by golly, to love a child when it's pulled out of you and handed to you and... Um, to watch that child grow and all of that, that no one can tell you that. Even if they were to describe it, your heart doesn't know it yet. And that is, that is a heart story. That is a love that I think was evoked that I have never felt for any human as I have my child. Um, and so it defies even the understanding of how I loved before. And so Mary's in for a new love, as is the world. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about your babies. What what was that vision of your birth story like for you? And were there any things in the fine print? I think what worried me, what, and you know, as you read certain books about pregnancy, what to expect when you're expecting, all these websites are like week by week, and they tell you all these things that you should be where your baby's at, and they make you all crazy. You're already um, just just wrapped up, like oh, all these things are happening, and then um, and they're telling you all these other things that are happening which should be happening, and so you're sort of like heavily monitoring what's happening to your body in the midst of creating a body. Um, and I don't want to miss that God moved God's self in a young woman from Nazareth, who, when approached by Gabriel, was um, said, I, greetings, thou favored one. And she says, I don't understand this greeting. Like, didn't understand the greeting even. Like, what do you mean favored one? I am Mary of Nazareth. Like, what good cometh of Nazareth? Um, and I think what I relate to with my own birth story is that I was nervous about all the things because um, you don't really get to see fully. My husband said when he saw the ultrasound of our first child, he's like, he looks like Worf from Star Trek. He looks like an alien. How is this supposed to be at all comforting for us? And these black and white gray shadows right here. This is horrible. Don't put it on the fridge. So anyway, that wasn't comforting, by the way, to have my husband. <laughs> um, but I had to reconcile myself. Like, is it right to bring a, bre- a black child into the world, into this world? And um, how would the world receive my child? 
And I often think of Mary in Nazareth, unwed, and that scandalous, as Willie Jennings, Dr. Willie Jennings would say, a scandalous um, beginning. Think, what would the world do with my child? And I think that that plagued, and I remember one ultrasound I got on my third child, the ultrasound tech at Duke said, why would you bring a mixed child into this world and what are you going to do with it? And I remember being so hurt by the question. Um, that for me, my birth stories are reeked in like, can I, can I do right by a child? Um, that will come up in a place that doesn't necessarily want them to live and thrive. So for me, my birth stories are sinking into a sort of reconciliation with myself that I was bringing forth black life. Um, my husband is white, kind of moving in what it is to be a father of a child. Um, and I'm, let me just say this with every birth. Um, the first one's always the hardest because it takes the longest, they say. So I needed actual help to get, because my body didn't want to give birth. So they put this thing in me called Pitocin, which just ratchets up these contractions so that way you're in pain consistently. And I remember I was going to go, hey, no no drugs, no no anything. But by, listen, by hour four, I'm like, give me all the drugs right now. Um, and it was hours and hours of pushing um, and they got a vacuum, so he had a cone head when he was born. And um, and I remember one of the first things that I thought when I, because I, I, I worried if I would love my child immediately. And I worried with every subsequent birth, would I love this child as much as I love the first? And I sound so, I sound so hard. And sometimes it took me a little while to get to loving the baby. And, you know, people say it's instantly and all, and for some it is. Well, sometimes I'm like, oh my gosh, another baby. I know I'm already overwhelmed with the other baby. <laughs> so it took me a while to acclimate. So, um, and that love then would flood and come in in waves that I'm grateful showed up. Um, because sometimes you just didn't know if it would come, this love that people described, that other mothers described. And so you're also awaiting a rush of an emotion that you knew waited for you, but you didn't know when it would come and how it would come. Yeah. I hear, like, I hear so many things mirrored. First of all, I, I don't think I worried about what I love my first one. I did worry about how's the second one going to be different or change. And feeling guilty when my my initial love was in watching my oldest become an older brother while I'm still getting to know this this little one like what's what's he like you know what's he gonna be into um, and I had already gotten to know all of the things that my son was into, and now he has a whole personality um, 
and we called them, uh, Chris said that ultrasounds always looked like they were little shrimps. So <laughs> get the, I get your, your husband's comparison as well. Um, but I, I think it's cool. It's like such an inadequate word that the Bible captures that awe in Mary as well. In that, just like that simple verse that she pondered these things in her heart, that there was, that she had that change and maybe had that wondering and like, you know, and also like baby's kind of important. Like, am I going to be adequate and all of those things? And then we also get this connection to your story when Mary's in the temple and Simeon saying this baby existence is going to pierce your own soul. I mean, this is that question. I can't imagine that your soul can stay intact when someone questions why you would bring a child in the world that's going to have a hard time. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe it's something that you've, maybe it's just the first pinprick. I know that, that you've, you've had to fight for your children. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, when I did my dissertation and I wanted to bind it on all four sides when I was done, because it took me so long, um, and then when I was over, I'm like, I'm, I don't want to ever see this again. But one thing I studied was black women who communicated and moved in revolution, like was social justice warriors. And almost when upon interviewing them um, the, and analyzing their interviews, the biggest thing that I got, one of the things that came out was that once they became mothers, they became a lot more brave and were willing to take greater risks because the world certainly had to be better for their children. And what they were willing to withstand in racism and sexism for themselves, they did not want that world to exist for their children. So I think something happens that children empower you to, if your love for them almost beckons you to create a world better for them. And I think of Mary and in her song that knowing that her child would beckon the world to be better. Um, and why not a mother say that of her child, this child, not just for me, for all of us. will ask us to be better. You mentioned that dissertation, your doctorate's in communication, right? And I, I love that this communication that Mary gives the world is in the form of a song because there's something about song where we all get united in the lyrics and the words and 
raising Eli is nothing like raising Jesus for sure. But there's, there's still that call of motherhood that the world needs to be, um, that heaven needs to be brought low. Um, that, that, that there's something that um, I, I think. Go ahead. You went out. I'm sorry. So there was a, a long pause. Can you repeat what you said the last? There's something in, in the act of motherhood where heaven needs to be brought low. Yes. I mean, and, and why wouldn't Mary's motherhood tie us mothers, whether we've given birth or not, but the motherhood in us, the motherness, um, it would tie us and bring heaven into this way, ground it in the feminine and ground it in a body. Um, I love that Mary sings, my soul magnifies the Lord and my soul, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For God has looked with favor on the lowliness of this earth. And, you know, and just to have Gabriel come and say favored one and she not kind of believe that and kind of like, what kind of greeting is this? I don't know. You know, I'm perplexed. But what Mary's song is doing is saying, God has seen me in this space, this marginalized space. And has favored me. And my spirit rejoices from being seen. Um, I magnif- my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices. I, I, I love that because I, I fear so much about Mary and her motherhood of Jesus is about being seen. <laughs> this space, like this young girl being seen and favored. And if God was going to do scandal and if God was going to do Jesus in this way. It would be at the deepest of margins. Um, it would be among a people that are being ruled over by the Romans and then take those people and take a town that nobody respects and take a young girl in that town <laughs> who is betrothed and, you know, um, at the layers that are happening here at the site of Mary. And for the, her first, the first stanza of this song is to be that God has seen me in a low place um, and has favored me in that place. And wouldn't that be just like the mother of Jesus to be seen and favored in a low place? Um. And I think so much of text doesn't allow us to sink into that. I would sing too. And there's been times where I have felt, who is God that God is mindful of Fatima? Mm. And Fatima's babies. Um, uh, Yeah. I'm just sinking into that. I, you know, so much of parenting, and that for some reason I'm randomly going to tell this story, but so much of parenting is telling your kids what to do. 
do this, do this, brush your teeth, go to bed, do this, did you do this, did you do that? Are you wearing underwear? Um, did you eat that whole thing or did you just throw it out? Did you feed that to the dog? Did you do this? Stop climbing out there. Like that is how, that is like literally, I've made myself sick and how many times I was saying things. And then when my children got to a certain age, um, about 16 or 17, I was praying about my son because I was struggling mothering him. Uh, my oldest son, and I, I fasted and prayed during Easter about my motherhood mm-hmm. and how it needed to shift. And I knew it needed to shift, but I didn't know how. So I had three other children and had four children altogether. And I was still in the very command phase of motherhood, which is a very like listing. Everything's a list. Um, and even when I saw your face in the morning, I'd be like, good morning, did you brush your teeth? Good morning, did you get your homework done? Good morning, did you do, you know? And because I didn't know what to do, and I remember so distinctly the Holy Spirit saying, Micah is good. Help Micah hear Micah. Hear the goodness in Micah. And I felt like my job as a mom was shifting now, not to the commands or sort of the orders or tells, but more like, Asking the questions that helped my child hear himself Mm. and hear how God was talking to him, which is this very, almost a quite a shift and like this teenage years of them. And and it was interesting that, that the, that what came to me was Micah is good. Mm -hmm. And, And that I had to trust that this child was good and could learn to narrate and move in ways that would hear the goodness in him, that I wasn't going to be there all his life. But that if I taught Micah how to hear Micah, hear the divine in him, that, that's my, that was the new task in motherhood. And I think about Mary in this song, talking about her son and how many transitions she'll have to make as a mother. I mean, he don't even come on the scene. You get birth and then this early years, but you, you know, years have gone by where Jesus is like just being mothered and fathered and held in family. Then you get him for a little bit at the temple, lost, and you get this whole dialogue uh, between him and his mother. Like, what is, and he's, I bought my father's, I'm sure that's a shift. Mm-hmm. That's a shift. And um, like, oh, yeah, I'm about my father's, listen. And I always said that, that, that he, you know, he didn't have me for a mother. Cause I'm like, I, who's okay. You may be about your father's business, but you need to at least tell people where you at. Cause I've done lost you. You don't need to be lost. And, um, and then next you get is one of the first miracles is at Mary's behest mm-hmm. calling Jesus into this, you know, and Jesus kind of responding and get this, this dialogue between son and mother. And <laughs> just the dialogue. I don't think we like move in the dialogue of son and mother and these brief and and then you get the cross and saying this is your and moving in that and i want to move in that because i think each of them marks like these transitional big moments of motherhood for mary and what it is to raise the son of god the son of mary and and to have that and so i watch for those because i think they're indicative of these milestones in jesus's life where Mary is right there moving in this sort of transitional moment with Jesus of her motherhood. And so Mary's song 
it's like the start of this like journey a motherhood where she knows God and knows she's favored in this journey and it, a journey it'll be. A journey that keeps her so close to God because even in that example, you, you know, going through Mary's ministry of motherhood, um, Jesus has been baptized His ministry is supposed to start and it's Mary who says like, now's the time you need to just go do it. You need to do the thing. You've been like, (laughs) it's, it's Mary who says like, come on, like, let's get, let's get this thing going. Like, you know, um, this is the opportunity and the kind of faithfulness and nearness that, is not easy in motherhood, but can be such a call to nearness to have those sensitivities, to be able to hear Micah is good. Mm. To be able to hear you need to go breathe (laughs) in the midst of this potty training episode. This is not worth it. Yes. (laughs) You know, there's just, there there is such a model for us about um, the ways that we can encourage and be used for other people in that kind of nearness of her, of her song and her call. Yes. And I love this because this is the beginning, but then you get the birth and then leaving. um, But then you get these absence of years and from the text, but my I almost, and I know this sounds bad, and I, I wish there was more information on that, but then I also think of the sacredness of Mary just getting to raise Jesus, um, helping him walk, say his first words, um, him getting in trouble and being in timeout, getting, you know, starting to maybe bite when he shouldn't bite, and all those motherhood years mm-hmm. that are so intimate. And so part that you see just these landmark times, even within the Jewish tradition, that's when you'll see. But those other years are held between family and Jesus. Like it, you know, and that, that it tells us something when the word became flesh. It took a lot of time to not give you that time. Like what God did on the seventh day is not known to us. God took it. Right. God could have been playing dominoes for all we know. God took God's time. And I love that Jesus' story is God took God's time. Jesus took Jesus' time to, to move in family, in life, and in the flesh. Yeah. There must be a reason why, like, biographies of famous people aren't written by their mothers. There are things that we find so significant and precious that are supposed to stay with us. Like those, those just those moments that we know that Jesus and Mary must have had those little inside mispronunciation of words or, you know, little things between them right now. Um, Eli will come up to me and he'll go Huggins. And then he like loves to like hug me and tackle me. Like these are things that, you know, 
if he ever becomes famous, nobody's going to include it in his biography, but it's so such a part of who he is and the kind of like loving person he is. Um, and I just, there's, I don't think Mary gets enough credit in her training up of now you've got, you've got teenagers now. Please Louise, go ahead. How many hours, evenings have you been sitting at the table with homework, you know, motivating, cheering, frustrated, let's go over this again. How are they doing math these days? We're going to figure this out. I tried to figure it out, girl. I got it. He got all the questions wrong and said, I don't need your help no more. That's, <laughs> that's how that turned out. That's how you get yourself fired, you know, um, and you hire a tutor. <laughs> you're like, ooh, I'm getting this wrong even on Khan Academy. Um, I think I would have loved some parts of the regular everyday life of Mary. I hope one day I get to sit down and just hear the stories um, of Jesus prior to 12 or 30, you know, yeah. and what that, and what that maturation looked like. But teenage, yeah, you have so many hours of just like sitting there and frustration, just frustration. I don't think we ever imagined Mary frustrated with the baby. Well, I'm just imagining at the very least, she is teaching him prayers and scriptures and songs. She's steeping him in tradition. And because that's the role, I mean, that's what we know of the role of women at that time is so much of the spiritual guidance of their young children. And they don't get any credit for it but they're sitting around the table and they're saying the prayers again and they're lighting the candles together and they're doing all of these holy things that go into these moments um later on where jesus is pull you know before the devil and able to say man cannot live by bread alone i mean that's me that's that's good up for me in many ways that's growing up in a home and in a place where you learned how to rebuke evil um and who you know i thought about that always my my husband we were all talking about one day he goes all these football players everybody go hi mom hi mom and he's like geez i never hear any of those these athletes ever say hi dad <laughs> like, hi dad you know that's always mom like um um, and I thought about that in this sort of hilarious way of just like moms. And I thought about from at the cross, I didn't hear Joseph. I didn't know if Joseph was there. Um, but Mary was. And I, I think about all those moments she was there, many of them, you know, from the beginning to the end. And is that not to the upper room? Like, this is Mary. This is a mother going the whole way. Mm -hmm. The whole way with her child. From the manger to the cross. And even after to the tomb. So I I have this deep, I, you know, and I figured that that's, that's mothers. Mm -hmm. 
And um, I, I'm, and her song is so beautiful. I think the fact that I, I think what conjures for me this song is so beautiful is that Elizabeth. Sometimes you get around other mothers, and if you're around other mothers who get it, who are experiencing these things, like what what evokes out of that out of that relationship what evokes and happens when two mothers come together and a song erupts Mm. um what does that say about also elizabeth being able to affirm her and we've got to this the, the context of the song matters like what happens prior that would usher in the song and it is a cousin who's affirming what you've been keeping secret what you you know what you know you don't even know and you you the angel told you a busted open the story for you about her and you come she affirms you in ways that are loving and beautiful um and and your response um to that Union and that relationship is, oh, I've got this song. Oh, that context is so important because at, at this point, the way the story is written, it seems that Mary is probably not sure that she even has Joseph in this with her. She's not sure what's going to happen there. And she's just been affirmed I have one person. I'm not going to be all alone. No. And what is it for a woman, another mother, to do that for you, to sit with you in that? And I love that. I absolutely love from whence Mary's song comes. Tima, I think one of the reasons why I thought of you when I was doing this series is because your affirmation of my possibility of motherhood when I was doubting myself meant so much to me. It may not even be a moment that you would remember very keenly, but there was this moment when I was wanting to follow God as a pastor and feeling like being a mom was going to complicate me going into difficult spaces that my desire to, to protect children would keep me from working with the most marginal and the, the, the most um, needy communities that I've always been drawn to. And I mean, not only did you share with me about the women that you had interviewed, but just that this like almost prophecy that like it, it would happen for me in a way that it should happen. Um, and it gives you confidence that even in the most inadequate, I just totally lost it moments that 
like this is still a part of the call. This wasn't a selfish choice to want to see a, a mini me running around. Like this is part of creating the kingdom of God by creating a future and a hope. It just, it meant a lot to me. Thank you for saying, I don't remember it. You know, I just, I remember you telling me not being excited. I do remember that clearly. And that I do remember some of it, but I, I guess I never doubted that whatever you wanted to do, that motherhood would be a beautiful part of it. And that motherhood would add a contour and a centering that few people on like that. I think people don't name enough. I'm like, y'all don't realize like what motherhood will do. It'll have you prioritizing everything. Like, okay, that, like literally when I would do bad on a test or not, and people like, oh, I did this great. I'm like, okay, but I got to go home and change poopy diapers. So yeah, that's my life. And how everything seems to like kind of fall into its place of what is most dire and important. Um, But I am so convinced in many ways, and just in this Elizabeth Mary moment, that we women hearing one another and affirming us at our most vulnerable, at our doubtful, where we feel lonely, where we're not sure, that affirming goodness and beauty and power and magic and talent in one another is where we in part get our songs that is part of where we get our music and our testimonies and our witnesses and so i take very seriously the practice of holding women and reflecting back to them their power and gifts and talents and that all that it can do and it can also move in motherhood all those seemingly impossible but we also know that this whole motherhood thing was a whole nothing is impossible thing was said so i'm all about how that whole thing was cloaked in nothing is impossible for god and so i'm like when mothers tell me oh, i gotta do this and this and this and this and this that text comes just erupting out i'm like this would be nothing short of the impossible um, to do motherhood and anything else, to do motherhood and live out call and to live out your life and to find who you are. Because I have said, I was another Fatima before I had children. And then my, I gave myself to my children and they handed me back in broken pieces. And I'm like that, the Asian pottery that you're trying to put back together with the gold lacing, I hope, which is Holy Spirit. But I felt like who my children handed me back, I didn't recognize myself. Mm. Um, and so the evolution of Fatima that was sparked by motherhood that changed me, that my songs changed. Um, and so I, I just want to say that I, this moment means something to me. I don't know if Mary could have sang her song had not Elizabeth affirmed and held her at a very vulnerable moment. Like, I agree to this, but good God, do I know what I stepped into? And it must have been something to see Elizabeth with her belly, say my baby leapt and all, just this powerful testimony meeting upon meeting her. I'm like, what an entrance and a welcome. And, and so I take this song as rooted in 
the deep affirmation from mother to mother, woman to woman, the groundswell of the song. Yeah. Who, who are your best, who are your people in your birth story that affirm and have, have affirmed you? Well, I remember my mom, my mom is particularly powerful because my mom had five of us by the time she finished residency doctor. And so when I got pregnant for the second time in my PhD, and I was just devastated almost that I, I just knew that I'd get really sick in the first trimester, labor is really hard. And I have, after each of my children had postpartum depression and they had to put me on medicine because I, I could not handle how hard it was. I would cry all the time. So my sister, number one, my sister came from Hawaii. She was working in Hawaii. And when I was going to have my third, my first child in my doctoral program, but my third son, she came and lived with me because they all knew that I would struggle um, emotionally, mentally, and physically to make it through a doctoral program and have three children and have my third. So my sister literally dropped everything her whole life to come for me. And then I want to tell my mom, I'm like, mom, I keep having kids and I can't seem to finish this doctorate. And she goes, you know, I feel med school, it is going to be hard, but you will do it. You can do this. You can do this. And, I, and when I defended nursing a baby at my breast, who was two months old, two and a half months old, and then she pooped everywhere, I thought, this is absolutely what it is to do call. It is doing the amazing in the midst of poop. <laughs> and that is it. That is my life in a nutshell. Try and do the great things that God has asked of you amidst bodily excretion and keep going. So I have to say my mom, my sister, my Nana, who would who moved close in North Carolina and, um, would rock the babies and I would write and she would be holding them and singing and rocking them. Who would have Bible study with them at 90 years old and take them so I could have moments to breathe or take a shower. When they say it takes a village to raise a child, it takes a village to hold a mother So I think I've had a village and, and the women all along the way from midwives, literally to friends and colleagues and other women who didn't seem to judge me when I was, you know, and when I had to bring kids this way or try to juggle them and all the people who I said, I can't make it to this because I have a baby with a fever. Um, I, I want to say this one thing when I was finishing up dip school and our second year together. Yeah, second year. I was trying to finish up wonderful classes I had for that semester. And my husband in April, on April 1st, actually needed double knee surgery, had an accident in martial arts. And so had double knee surgery and was in braces and a lot of pain. At the same time, I'm trying to finish up a couple of weeks later, our finals. 
and my son keeps complaining. He's been complaining for two, three, four, five days about his ears. The ears hurt. So I give him ibuprofen and blah, blah. And then one day he's like, I, my ears hurt so bad. Can you please help me? And I'm like, I have to write these finals. I have to get this done. They're due. Uh, theology and ethics and all this stuff. And um, I said, why don't you go play? I'll give you more medicine. And then he went out with a friend and friend's mother's like, he's crying. So I took him to the urgent care. I'm like, okay, fine. I get to the urgent care. I have the book open typing as I'm waiting for the, for the doc in urgent care. And the doc's like, his eardrum is almost busted. Has he not been complaining? And I held my head down and she left. She's like, what a strong kid you are. This must've been painful for days. And I remember looking at him and said, I am so sorry. I missed it. You know, I was so busy trying to get, finish my classes. And I promised myself a while ago that I would know that if I hand, if I took care of my children and tried my best, that all the plates I was spinning, that grace would abound and that it will get done some way, somehow, because nothing is impossible. And um, so I apologized to my son and I started crying. He goes, it's okay, mom, you just get really busy. I'm like, I should have listened. I'm so sorry. So anyway, that night I was getting up because he had to be on medication every two or three hours. And so I just stayed up all night finishing up our papers, trying to get them done. And I fell asleep for a little bit and then the alarm went off to give him his medicine at like 3.30 a.m. And I realized I put my flip-flops on and the dog had vomited in my flip-flops, my favorite flip-flops. And I started screaming and lost my mind. I'm like, what ah, the world is against me? Does nothing want me? Does God, do you not want me to do anything with my life? Do you not want me to finish this? And then uh, the whole house wakes up, of course, because I am losing it. <laughs> so, and they're like, hey, mom, you okay, man? What's going on over there? And I'm like, I'm fine. I just needed a moment to completely break down. Um, and in that moment, and I thought about that, I, I thought about how much I contacted all our preceptors at Divinity School. Um, I said, I can't. I just too much. I don't know if I can finish these. And you know, all of them said, that's okay. Take another week. How about you handed it the day of grades and I'll grade it right before we got to hand it in. All this grace about, and then I looked at my GPA, which is the highest GPA I had all through Div school. And I didn't deserve one of those grades. And I remember going to two of the preceptors and saying, Hey, we've graded ourselves. And I gave myself a D on the reading and preaching because I know I didn't read very much. And she goes, yeah, we know. But we didn't think that was fair. And I remember Dr. Jennings saying something about kingdom calculus. That semester was kingdom calculus. There's no way I made it through a doctoral program, even the Div School program, being a mother, without being surrounded in a grace that made the impossible possible. So even that, who helped me in motherhood, it was just accompanying grace that things shouldn't have turned out that way. <laughs> and yet they did. Mm. Mm. I think we all have had those moments. I think I had one this morning. 
<laughs> or it just all feels like, why does nobody want us to get out the door or get a few things done or, you know, get a, get to take a shower? <laughs> why does nobody want us to be able to do these things? And it's one of the, it's just one of those moments where the call, like the call is, it's too much. It's too much without grace. It's too much without those like sacred realignments, you know, every now and then of like, let's, let's back it up a minute and look at these things. There's, it is definitely too much. And I just can't, I, yeah, it's amazing what God can do. I just, and I do think you, you did not deserve a D (laughs) even though I I was not there watching you read, but I'm sure I got grades. I didn't deserve either. (laughs) And I did not have three. (laughs) I just didn't deserve that. Um, I, so I, I look at Mary and I'm like, oh, but grace abounds, Mary. You're going to do the impossible. It was right there in the invitation. It was right there when you said, here I am. That nothing is impossible. And maybe Advent is about sinking into that. The invitation of here I am and nothing is impossible. I think that's a beautiful call for for anyone, not just moms, but for anyone to be able, as we look for the kingdom and many days, just think, Lord, just come today. <laughs> this, just come today. This is, we just, you know, um, and God continuing to say nothing's impossible and there's work to be done in this waiting. I always say it's a work of the weight. What's the work of our weight? Um, my mom in med school was waiting outside um, for um, a friend to take her home. And the doctor came by her and said, what are you doing? She goes, I'm waiting for so-and-so to go. Why aren't you opening your med book? Why aren't you reading and studying? And she's like, because I'm just waiting. And um, he's like, waiting and you could be studying. And um Mom's like, okay. But I thought about that little story she told, just this little snippet. And my, my mother reads all the time while she's waiting. The Kindle was the best thing to happen to my impatient mother. But I always think about, even in the waiting uh, for my child, there was Lamaze class, there was prep, there was a nesting that was preparing me. There is a work of the wait, and so much of it is wrapped in the preparation of the uncertain and the unknown. And I'm grateful to a God that nests us spiritually. Like we don't know the contours of the call yet, but God is actually moving if we allow ourselves in Advent to think about in what ways are the practices God is asking us to prepare. 
And um, even from the sleepless nights where you think it's counterintuitive in the last trimester to lose sleep when you need it so desperately, but how that is prep for the sleep you're not going to have, which I would have said the prep would have been getting more sleep. Um, but how even the insomnia and the lack of sleep. But I remember my therapist saying recently, Tima, you're not sleeping well. And a lot of people aren't. I would like you to think about yielding into the, to the moments you wake up. Mm-hmm. Developing a practice for that time that fills it with something meaningful. And so I've yielded to waking up. And you know that I have these little practices, everything from writing, thinking about something that may have woken me up and like communicating and working it out. Like my mind's still trying to work something out and kind of starting to like, like really process in that time and wrestle with God on things or I read or so I have several practices now because I'm yielding into it because I also think we think things are horrible and this, this can't be right. This can't be right. Uh, It can't be right that you lose sleep right before you give labor and you're going to lose more sleep. Uh, But I also think that there's a sense of also yielding into what seems odd about this time and what maybe it can teach you about yourself. Um, And I'm not saying all insomnia is good by any means, not at all, actually. But I'm saying what, what, what kind of divine practices are being offered to us that look strange and wild and unruly. Yeah, because it's 2020. <laughs> it's 2020. And I am, I am, I'm just, I'm saying that I got some practices and I'm like, I would never have gotten this practice if it were not for 2020. Yeah. For instance, I now um, thought about call and how it changes and shifts. And in response to what I witnessed as a believer. And if I witnessed this in the world, how is my call responding? And I would have never have kind of done that if I had not witnessed what I did in 2020 and felt my call start to erupt in new ways or the far corners of my call that I have been ignoring or not brave enough to tackle are starting to tap me on the shoulder and being like, now would be a good time to start thinking about this far corner of your call that you've been neglecting. Mm Who knew? So I started an Instagram page, putting up some of my ideas, and I'm like, this is a horrible idea. <laughs> but I am for I am for divine experimentation. Like, let's see, let's see what kind of good trouble we can get ourselves into, shall we? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Fatima, it's always a joy to get to see you. It's a shame it's been so long, but I'm glad to get to hear, and I can't wait to see what transformation that just all of the excrement of the year brings us to, <laughs> that holiness might come out of it, that we keep doing the impossible. Twenty twenty. <laughs> That is the Advent question. What in the world are we waiting for? What is the work of this wait besides cleaning this mess up? Yes. And singing while we do it. (laughs) Our songs, yes. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's so good to see you. And just to tell you that I love you, and I'm I'm grateful that a conversation we had, all I remember is just how powerful and good you are. 
that's all I remember is just knowing that whatever it was that you go that you were just more than equipped to do it and um, I would have that conversation with you a hundred times over um, and I see that every time you just come up on my my atmosphere I just want to tell you that I just absolutely adore you and how much light you bring into the world and may you always know that well, thank you, Fatima. The same to you times a thousand. I love and appreciate you so much. And um, yeah, just blessings to you and your family in this season. You too. Be ringing in the new year soon. <laughs> At home, by ourselves. Lost <laughs> <laughs> to twenty twenty. Um, Thank you, and have a beautiful Advent, yes? And a Merry Christmas. Thank you.